There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Leader Coronavirus Daily is bringing you the latest news, analysis and interviews during this crisis. Thank you for listening and please do share it with your friends. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader Coronavirus Daily. I'm David Marsland. What happens when a Prime Minister falls ill? Boris Johnson has now been in hospital for a couple of days and there's no word on when he'll be coming out. The government says he's stable and in good spirits, but he's suffered breathing difficulties and received what Downing Street calls standard oxygen treatment. Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary, is in charge for the moment, but what if that goes on longer? Well, Lord Owen, the Foreign Secretary under James Callaghan, is writing an article for the Evening Standard on this very subject. And I spoke to him earlier, beginning with, how does a government work when the Prime Minister isn't there? Well, I don't think there's any problem where there is a designated uh, stand-in. In the case of Raab, he's already been designated First Secretary of State. It's a term that's been used before, and it's quite clear that Boris Johnson wanted him to step in when he was traveling abroad or elsewhere. So there's no argument. I don't think there's any problem in the cabinet about that at all. And he can stay like that for weeks and even possibly a month or so. I think that the present situation is damaging not having the prime minister there, but having an election or putting somebody in who has not got the authority of being elected and the great advantage of Boris Johnson is he won a very substantial personal victory only very recently. And therefore he is, we call prime ministers, primus inter pares, first amongst equals. He's a bit more than that. This government won on his agenda and this government is going to have to handle some very major questions. But I have no doubt that uh, Michael Gove and the new chancellor of the Exchequer, who's done extremely well, will work very harmoniously in these circumstances under Rab as the temporary head of the government, that's all. And I think the cabinet will too. Now, you were Foreign Secretary once yourself, Lord Owen. How much of a step up, though, is it to move from that position into de facto prime minister? Because you're going to be brought into all kinds of different meetings, be privy to different knowledge than you had before, surely. Well, Rab has been involved in and has actually come in the daily press conferences, has held them before, because he's been confronting the difficulty with all these British people in foreign countries who want to come back. But in fairness, um, 
Boris has been good about the cabinet. He, he admires, of course, Churchill. And Churchill, despite being in a proper war, was very keen that the cabinet constantly met and had open discussions in the cabinet, but necessarily also had a war cabinet. Now, I don't personally think this should be likened to war. It's a very different question. We're really dealing with extremely complicated science and medical advice has been the leading the government. What I think has been good about the government is, as far as Boris's own illness, we've all known that he had the virus. We then knew that he tested positive. We know he's been in the apartment in number 1011. And unfortunately, he's had to be there by himself. His food was sort of passed through to him and that sort of thing. And you know you had to see him when the second night we all clapped and he came out on number 10 and clapped. That was a brave thing to do. He was obviously feeling absolutely lousy. And I have no doubt that he's in good hands because St. Thomas's Hospital was where I trained as a doctor and practiced. So I'm bound to think it's a good hospital. But also it was Florence Nightingale's hospital. So he's in very good hands. And I think if he can stay out of the ventilator and just with oxygen, and um, if he doesn't get pneumonia, he could make quite a, quite a quick recovery. We talked about the role of the cabinet when the prime minister is away, is absent. What about the civil service? Do they have to step up? Is there a, a new responsibility for the cabinet secretary? Well, I think the cabinet secretary is bound to focus his time on mobilising the civil service machine. A cabinet secretary has many responsibilities. I think, frankly, he's got too many because he's also the chairman of the new National Security Council, which is dealing with a vast range of foreign policy. I think his time at the moment needs to be spent absolutely focused on getting the machine working. For example, getting ventilators built. I mean, it was a brilliant idea, inviting industry in. And they do seem to have succeeded in this. Industries which wouldn't have dreamt of going near ventilator production. So I'm sure that uh, they're playing safe for the Prime Minister. And that's why they moved him to the intensive care unit. But they've held off as yet. Uh, the big movement would be if he needed um, more than just oxygen. Now, as I say, I think we've got reasonable grounds for having confidence that the Prime Minister will come through this, but we must be sure that he doesn't rush back. His temptation will be to rush back into government-making decisions. Somebody, perhaps his fiance, uh, will tell him, no, you, you get yourself just a little bit better. But for how long can he be out before it becomes a problem? You mentioned that you know the cabinet is strong enough that he could they can go on without him for a few weeks, perhaps even a month. What about longer than that? What if it takes longer? Without getting into the question of replacing a prime minister, a prime minister who's recovered from a serious illness and wants to take a week away from it all and really get his strength up while reading all the papers and reading himself in, he can still guide the government from uh, checkers in this situation but he wouldn't have to come up and do all the, or even chair all the meetings. That he could leave. Rob is experienced too now. I mean, he was appointed by Theresa May to lead the negotiations uh, and then resigned. She wouldn't have chosen him if he, she thought he was a fool. I and mean, he's certainly not a fool. And I think he's uh, doing well as uh, uh, Foreign Secretary. Not easy time. And anyhow, he's the man who 
Boris Johnson had confidence in and appointed him to be his deputy. So it could, it could the cabinet could go on fairly confidently for some months, would you say? I certainly think after a month of absence, people would start to make questions. But I think he should certainly have the capacity for it. I mean, they, you know, practically none, no prime minister has been totally honest about their health. Macmillan was not honest about his health. He resigned on the basis that he was too ill to carry out. In fact, he knew that he just had a normal prostate operation. He didn't have cancer. I think he knew his time was up and he wanted to go. The tragedy really, you know, is not just prime ministers. Hugh Gateskill in 1963 was on the cusp of being prime minister. Everybody knew he would have been won the new general election. And he developed lupus erythematosus. It's an illness that people usually recover from or a chronic illness. But he died in a very few days. And it was a tragedy for the Labour Party is that lose their leader. But in many of us believe, and I certainly do, it was a tragedy for the country. So we've had deaths. We've had to deal with difficulties. We've got a lot of experience about this. And I wouldn't allow some of these rather high-flown journalists who know absolutely zero on most of these issues, pontificating day after day, just shut it down. He's ill, let's all wish him well and get on with the task with the present cabinet ministers. Next. By November, Eden was in a very bad state, not at all well. He resigned as prime minister on the 8th of January, 1957. And really a very distinguished career was ended by illness. More from Lord Owen. What can we learn from history in a time like this? Boris Johnson isn't the first Prime Minister to have to take sick leave. It's actually quite common, but the effect can be dramatic. In the second part of our interview, I asked Lord Owen about when this has happened before. In many ways, the sudden fever which gripped Anthony Eden in 1956 during the Suez crisis is the most interesting example. He um, went to visit his wife in University College Hospital and suddenly developed an uncontrollable shaking. And he was suffering from a septicemia where organisms, bugs if you like, from his... Uh, bile duct were getting into his bloodstream. Anyhow, he stayed in hospital and was treated for three days and he left uh, hospital. Then 10 days later, he made the most damaging and inexplicable really decision in all his distinguished career. And he decided to collude with Israel and um, with France in pretending that they've they could come in, the French and the British, after an Israeli invasion of the Suez Canal as peacekeepers. Well, we don't need to go into all of that, but by November, Eden was in a very bad state, not at all well. And in, uh, I think about the 18th of November, he left for Jamaica, and then he came back in December. He was still not really well. And in the House of Commons, he lied about this collusion with Israel and uh, with France and said he had no foreknowledge. He never came back to the House of Commons. He resigned as Prime Minister on the 8th of January, 1957. 
and really a very distinguished career was ended by illness. During that illness, he'd also been on amphetamines, which is a stimulant to the brain, uppers and downers, as some people call. And there's no doubt that did have an influence, probably a very important influence, on his handling of the Suez crisis. Now, with Boris Johnson, we've been told that he had the infection. We were told that he was extending self-isolation. We knew he'd gone into hospital and we know what his condition is right now. But prime ministers haven't always been entirely open about their health, have they, Lord Owen? We talked about Macmillan earlier on. And then there was Lloyd George, who contracted Spanish flu in 1918 and didn't tell the public. Yes. Mind you, we were in wartime then. And in wartime, you have got the right to silence and you don't believe the enemy should know that your principal figure is ill and uh, nobody complains too much about that that's why i think we've got to be careful about these wartime analogies uh, openness is the secret of this and we've seen this very much in the way uh, governor cuomo has been handling the appalling problem very similar to the difficulties you had in london but their medical services were very close to being overrun He's been having frequent press conferences and been very open. I think the government has been extremely open, and in particular, because this is such an unusual situation, instead of generals, you've had doctors telling and explaining the situation. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, as they often try to remind us, that this is a new disease. Now, the government is moving, you know, so many different issues are hitting them time and time again. I think we've got to be a bit more patient. And when the scientific advice changes, thank goodness scientists do change their mind. And there's no doubt that we've had at least two issues where the science has driven a change of policy. And no doubt there'll be a few more. So what are the lessons from history here? Well, uh, Anthony Eden left in the middle of November for Jamaica and was meant to have sun and everything like that. He actually stayed in the um, Ian Fleming, the Bond uh, writer, uh, in his house. And I think he was very frustrated and wanted to get back, came back, probably again too early. So I suppose you, that's the biggest precedent. So now Raab taking over as the acting head of government, while Boris hopefully recovers, and I'm very pleased to hear reports today that he hasn't got pneumonia and is just having oxygen. Well, that's good news. It's the pneumonia in coronavirus that is so uh, damaging and uh, often does really uh, destroy somebody, particularly people who are older than he is. He's 56. He seems reasonable. And I think we can hope. But you can only hope with this virus. You, nobody knows really enough about it still. But on the assumption that he gets better, which I hope is the case, I hope he doesn't rush back. That's one of the lessons of Anthony Eden. And I hope that he uh, returns as prime minister fit and well. And I think there's a good prospect of that. But let's, let's hope. And that's The Leader. We're bringing you interviews, news and analysis every weekday. Please do subscribe through your podcast provider to make sure you don't miss out. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.